O-M-E gear stands for ocean plus mountains equals earth or outdoors made easy. It is an outdoor gear company where we invent really innovative transforming products for the outdoor space. This started before COVID, but especially since COVID where everybody has the, the desire now to be outside more, which is amazing. OME Gear is speaking to that, right? So we're trying to provide products to help make getting outside easier. I'm Kim Chris, Director of SC Tech and Cybersecure SC at the South Carolina Council on Competitiveness. And I'm Joseph Nutter, co-founder of Design Sensory and PopFiz. We're talking to some of the most interesting minds in the South. They're hands-on, they're driven, and they're sharing their notes on business and creativity, entrepreneurship and leadership, failure and growth, and so much more. Peaks and valleys. It seems an appropriate reference to the duality of the highs and lows experienced in business and entrepreneurship. Those who have chosen the journey know the metaphor very well. There are the best of times and the worst of times, the successes and failures, the big wins and the humbling losses. I suppose it's what you do in between that matters most. It's also not as much an abstraction to this episode as it sounds. You see, Jules and Stacy, the innovators in this episode, put everything on the line for their outdoor equipment invention. They basically bet their home on it. Which brings me to another duality, that of risk and reward. Much of business, and life for that matter, is about managing or hedging risk in pursuit of a goal or reward. But where does someone draw the line? Do you pursue a dream because of the reward or in spite of the risk? Perhaps it's another R word we run from, regret, the one of not taking any risk at all. And just maybe that is the ultimate risk. In this episode, Jules and Stacy get very personal about their entrepreneurial story because for them, it's not just business. I think for many entrepreneurs, myself included, it never is just business. It's life. It's seeing how far you can go despite the odds, despite the risk in pursuit of innovation. My name is Jules Weldon, and I am a co-founder and CEO of OME Gear. And my name is Stace Pierce, Stacy, and I'm also a co-founder and CEO of OME Gear. The flagship product for OME Gear is called the Wanderer. It's a five-in-one cart or hauler that holds up to 150 pounds of gear. And then once you get there, you have the option to have a comfortable seat, either a lounge chair, a camping cot, a high off the ground camping type chair, or a low to the ground beach chair. We tried to make the Wanderer as sustainable as possible. We, you know, using as little plastics as we can. We've tried to use recycled plastics, but mostly it's aluminum, steel, and plastic. And then our fabric. Our fabric is a sunbrella type fabric. So it's UV resistant and weather resistant. We've tried to make it quality because one of the things that we saw being, being beachgoers, at the end of the summer, there was a, always a pile of junk 
at the end of the beach. And we were like, you know, this is just going into landfill, so let's make it a quality product and use things that are gonna be sustainable to our environment. And also, they're the only wheels that will actually roll on sand. They do not require air. So they are they are a plastic hub with a sand to green rubber outer layer. The Wonder also comes in six colors. We kind of wanted to be able to support everyone's favorite team. So it may not be the perfect color of orange for Clemson, but it is an orange and you can make it or whatever. We have a navy and we have a green and we have a gray and we have a red and then we'll be coming out with other colors as we grow. The Wander can be found in a lot of familiar locations. So we are currently in True Value. We're on Wayfair.com. We're on Help Huck, me. Huckberry, Huckberry Camping World. We're going to be on QVC. So we're really excited about that. But a lot of a lot of big locations and many more to come. Highly utilitarian, very sustainable, and widely available. I always wonder, excuse the pun, where the idea behind flagship products come from. So what exactly is the origin story of The Wanderer and what set these two entrepreneurs on this path? The original concept from what OME Gears built on came from my mom and dad 23 years ago. They were sitting on the beach in Bethany Beach, Delaware, and they saw a single woman with three kids coming off the beach and they were all miserable. And they looked and they said, gosh, going to the beach should never be a hard experience. We, I mean, there's six kids in our family and they understood having to carry a ton of stuff somewhere. They actually went back into their condo, kind of the typical American dream. Napkin sketched out this lounger that if you flipped it up, it became a dolly. And they thought, if this woman had this product, it would be a much different experience for her. My dad got it patented. He tried to take it to market and like a lot of inventors just couldn't figure out how to actually take it to market. So it sat on the shelf for 12 years. So fast forward now to 2010, I was working for one of the big four consulting firms in the world and got tired of working 80 hours a week for somebody else. I enjoyed my job, but I, I just needed something more. So at 1.30 in the morning, I thought about my mom and dad's invention. And I was like I think I was just dumb enough to think I could do it and just smart enough to think maybe I could do it right it's kind of like that that weird mix but I called up my dad at 8 30 that morning and this is one of those moments that you'll never ever forget I called up my dad who is one of my and our now heroes and I just said hey dad what would you think if I tried to take your product to market and in that moment my dad started crying and he said honey that would be a dream come true he said you can have everything so he assigned the patent over to me he gave me his drawings which at that point you know 12 years later were really Frankenstein I mean they were like big and plastic but it was the concept that I needed so I actually went into the company that I was working for and I talked to one of my mentors who's a dear friend of mine he's 25 years my senior and I said John what would you what do you think about this product and he's like how much research have you done and I said well I've, I've done as much as I know how and he said Jules I think you're on to something so I left, came back the next day, and I said, John, would you be my business partner? And he's like, are you kidding me? Yes. And so we ended up just kind of moonlighting doing this. And one of our clients was a manufacturer in North Carolina. So we approached them about being our contract manufacturer with just this concept. We didn't have a company. And they said, we love your product so much, we would like to buy a majority share of your company. And John and I looked at ourselves. We were like, what? 
So they ended up giving us a lot of money for this concept and kept us on. And long story short, it turned out to not be a good partnership. Our values just didn't align and values to Stace and I are everything. And so I ended up walking away from that, my own company, and they dissolved that in 2018. But in about 2016, 2017, Stace and I looked at each other and we just said, man, nobody has taken this idea, this concept of a transformer. And so we said, what if we completely redesign it using the consumer feedback from the former iterations and take it to market the right way, which in our mind was, we don't give up control. And it's not about control, it's about this is our baby. We are incredibly passionate about this and we wanna take it to market the way that we think we can really be successful. So that's what we did. We all know that you can have the entrepreneur bug and you can have the idea, but that's just the start of it all. So how did these two actually develop The Wanderer? When we started developing The Wanderer, we actually took feedback from customers that Jules had in her previous company, on, on her previous product. We took the feedback from customers and to say what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it. It didn't fit into a trunk of a car. So we were like, okay, we need to make it small enough, compact enough that if you pop off the wheels, you can put it in the trunk of a car. We did, we've done over 12 years of research just on wheels. I mean, that's a lot of wheels. And we, we have a storage shed full, full of, of wheels, wheels <laughs> um, that we've tested. And literally it was kind of serendipitous because we had this team call and we're like, we have to find wheels that work because nothing out there works that do not require air. And Jules did research and found that this company came up after 12 years of research. Our axle is the only axle like it. We were patent pending on our axle. It's a quick release. A lot of axles have pins. People lose pins. We didn't want people to lose their pins, the locking pins. So we're like, how can we make it better? How can we make it more um, efficient for people and make it more useful for people? And with all of that research and development, at what point were they ready to say, this is it, this is our MVP? Researching for a product is multifaceted. So obviously Mr. Google is our best friend. <laughs> we did a lot of work on Google, um, but we also, when we would find a product that was not even a competitor, but potentially a competitor, we would buy that and then we would take it out and try to beat it up. And whatever didn't work, that's what we would solve. But we would also read all of their reviews, all of our competitors' reviews, and find out the things that customers would complain about. Like what did they, what were the negative things about that product that they bought that they wished were different? And without fail, consistently, it's people were complaining about the wheels not working or it being junk that they would have to throw it away after one season. So we're like, okay, let's solve those problems. And so for us, that was research. It was so many hours of just mining all of the gold that we could find from customers of competitor products. And I wanna tag in on there. The wheels are a, a game changer for us. I'll just give you an example. It's not just for the beach, right? It's for camping. We went to a festival in the mountains and people were pulling wagons and they were overloading their wagons with 100 pounds of gear, which those wagons, they don't carry that much weight. And then their wagon wheels were breaking. So we were like, okay, we need to make sure we have an axle and that is, is strong enough to hold the weight and then have axle supports. So we have triple axle supports on our cart and cart mode to make sure it can carry the 150 pounds and we're not gonna have broken wheels. Coming up with, a, with an um, MVP, a minimum viable product, is really challenging as an inventor because we want it to be perfect, right? 
But what we found is customers don't realize those things that we stay up at night worrying about. Seth Godin is a marketing genius. He always says 80%. If it's 80% there, start shipping, right? And then, I mean, you think about it. The first iPhone is not at all like this iPhone that we all carry in our pockets. And so you have to get it out there, prove that the customer wants it, start selling it, and then you can continue to iterate on it, right? For us, that's what we did. We've had to shift manufacturers multiple times. The first one sent over 500 units that weren't right, but we used those because we funded on Kickstarter and sent them out to our first buyers, our backers, and we said, hey, we know that all of these things aren't right. However many of you are interested, the first 75 of you, we will send you this product for free. Your real product is coming soon, but we want you to be part of our testers. And so we're gonna send you these. You tell us, here's a list of things we know aren't right and we're fixing them, but you tell us other than that, what else needs to be fixed? Mm -hmm. So those kinds of things where we can shift a, oh my gosh, this is a huge miss and shift it into a win with our customers was has been significant mm -hmm. for us. So as much as we can involve the, our customers in our journey, we really try to do that. I very much loved the, the and you clearly it was very emotional for them when they told it, but the, the, their story is so personal um, and, and, and so family oriented, um, obviously, since the idea for, the, uh, for their core product, The Wanderer, um, in, in ways multi-generational, right? They took it from, from Jules's parents um, and refined it. And I think, to, you know, we, when we talk about it, we're it, to me, it's a case study, at least in iteration, um, you know, and they, and the fits and starts associated with it, it's messy. Um, they had ideas, um, but clearly in that product development stage, um, they iterated on wheels. They, as they talk about, they iterated on we just well, probably 50 to a hundred variations on wheels and wheel partners um, to, to figure out how to make that key part of the value proposition work for the product. Um, and then they continue to invite, you know, feedback from customers to refine their product over time. I think one thing they're trying to do right now is reduce weight. Um, and so, but obviously reducing weight reduces rigidity and strength. And so they're, they're tackling those issues right now. Um, you know, what are your thoughts, Kim, on, on, on iteration in, in that sense? Because to me, when you hear, you know, hey, a lot of innovation is iteration, in the back of my head, I'm always thinking, yeah, and, and iteration requires coin. You, you know, you, 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 at some point, when, when, when do you say I, what I have is good enough, you know, and, and we always talk about minimum viable product. Um, but at what point do you say, look, we have invested the dollars we've invested in this. The product is good enough. It is time to take it to market and to see what kind of revenue we can generate from that and to see what kind of earnings come from that that can get reinvested into additional iteration to make it better. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, how that should go and, and, and maybe in the example that they have of, of, of how one finances and finds the resources to improve and iterate on their product? Sure, well, we see in their story multiple stopping points, right? Where yeah. they, they were either, they were at a crossroads. That's right. So we either move forward with this product by evolving it, by getting that customer feedback, or or we don't. And I think a lot of companies that are creating a tangible product like this have to go through these 
these stages. Like you said, it, it, it's an essential part of innovating a product. And I really like the example where they get this supply of, of wanderers that haven't been built to their specs. And so what do they do instead of trashing them or, or, you know, saying, sorry, we can't deliver, they deliver them and say, give us your feedback. And on top of that, you're going to be getting your correctly manufactured product as well. But we're going to use your feedback to go back to the drawing board and make this product even better for you. And so we see at multiple points in their journey where they have the resilience to go through that process, those, those iterative processes, and improve and continuously come out on the other end better for it. Yeah, and I, I, I love that example that you have there from their story of how um, they turned... I guess it's kind of like that anecdote of turning a, a, a uh, failure into a success. Um, and again, in that regard, I guess they, 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 they turned it into a, um, a, a research study to see what would actually work and didn't work, right? Yeah, and because of that, they didn't, it wasn't a total loss, that investment they had made. Yeah. Because even though they had paid to have that product manufactured, and it didn't come out the way they had specified originally, that investment still paid off because they were able to deliver an even better product right. on the other end. Yeah, they basically turned it into a beta period. That's right. Yeah. This podcast is part of Scribble, South Carolina's voice of innovation. We celebrate and support innovative activity across the state by connecting people to people. Visit ScribbleSC.com for exclusive interviews, tools, and resources. That's ScribbleSC.com. I think there's a lot of things that get in the way of people being innovative. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, we can both kind of answer this, but I think for me, one of them is just knowing what are the next steps to take. Fear is a really big thing that gets in the way of people trying to innovate. Like, am I smart enough for this? Do I have the right connections for this? Is this going to cost me more money than I have? I think funding is another really big impediment for innovation. And our product alone We've invested over $400,000 in getting this to where it is. People don't understand that. So when they find out our price point, you know, it's not a cheap product, but it's the, the amount of resources that it's taken to build this mm -hmm. and come up with something that's literally never been done before, like the Wanderer where we take six products and we meld it into one. The hurdles that we have come up against are profound. And so I can see why the majority of people don't take their product to market because it's hard. I want to focus in on that funding piece for a second. Stacy provided some eye-opening statistics about the challenges of gaining funding as a female entrepreneur. The statistics are that women getting funded in any kind of company is just, it's just hard. Only 2.7% of all funding goes to women-owned companies. Women getting funded is hard. And Jules and I, since 2018, have done over 400 pitches for OME Year. Some of the stats are 2.7% of all money that is given 
to companies goes to women. Only 2.7, that's a, such a small amount. 1.7 of that goes to women in tech. 1% goes to all the women out there in apparel, food, and any, 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 any other yeah. kind of product. So for us, it's just been one of the biggest obstacles that we've had to overcome, and we are overcoming it. We're going and we keep pitching, but you know, we had to learn how to pitch. We had to learn our audience because you're pitching to all different people from all different backgrounds who are investing in different things. And so you have to know your audience. You have to know what they're looking for in your deck. We have, when I say we, Jules has really worked hard on our deck to make sure that every time it goes out, it's up to date. It's an ongoing process. It changes day to day. We get new vendors in or we get new things. It's always an ever-changing document. We have to know who we're speaking to, just knowing what we're asking for. That's another thing is like, how much do you need and what are you going to spend the money on? That is one of the number one questions. And you have to give them details of what you're going to spend the money on. You just can't say, we just need it for our company. You you need to know it. Do you need it for manufacturing? Do you need it for new products? Do you need it for R&D? Do you need it for your staffing? What do you need the money for? And really be able to, if you're asking for three million, where every bit of that money is going towards. And how did they overcome that funding roadblock? We knew we needed money. And so in order to raise money, uh, the first thing that we went to our friends and family, we have an incredible network of friends and family and just started pitching it to them saying, you know, people that we knew had resources. So we were able to raise uh, the first money to get us going through friends and family. But then you get to a point where that network <laughs> it comes to an end, right? No matter mm -hmm. how big your network is that. And so, um, so then we ended up um, cashing in our 401ks and then we ended up maxing out our credit cards. And then we got to a point where we're like, okay, we need more money. And the only main resource that we had left was our house. And we had a good bit of equity in our house. And so we said, we looked at each other one day and we said, well, how, how, much do we believe in this company? And we both agreed, all, we're all in. And we said, well, let's sell our house because we had products that the manufacturer had shipped over that we couldn't pay for. We needed funding to pay for that. And so in order to get our product, because he hid it in a warehouse in Utah, and we couldn't get it until we paid him. And so our company was really kind of at a standstill. The housing market was booming. We put our house on the market and literally the day we put it on the market, it sold. Um, and so we took that money, invested that money, that equity into our company and got our product back and then we kept going. So we've really, in a lot of ways, because of those statistics mm -hmm. that Stace talked about, we've had to piecemeal this funding together, um, but we have had people step up and believe in this and believe in us. Yeah. And we've had a team that has rallied around us who believes in this with everything in them. The momentum has shifted and really good things are happening. And now people are coming to us, asking us if they can invest in our company. So the tides have turned and it's a really incredible thing to watch because we've not given up. The funding that we're looking for now has shifted. So the initial funding is really the development of the company and creating the foundation. Now, the two main things that we're looking for funding for is to scale up our inventory, so production, mm -hmm. and then our marketing efforts. If we you know, get those, get that funding, those are the two main things we're gonna dump that funding into. Without much to tie them down to one spot, Jules and Stacy hit the road for a bit of creative marketing. So our marketing efforts have been a lot of hit and miss, a lot of trying things out, seeing what works, a few things that have really worked for us. One of them is um, we have a wrapped RV 
And so we take that RV to festivals and trade shows and we sometimes stay at RV parks. And it is without a doubt one of the biggest tools for us to garner attention. On the RV, there's a QR code. So people can scan that QR code and go right to our website. So when we're driving, it literally is like a billboard and they can scan the QR code, go to our website. When we're driving the RV, we'll see a two or 300% spike in traffic in our website because people will pull out their phones as they're driving and look at our site. So that's been really great. Another thing is our podcast, um, our Do It In Nature that we talked about podcast. It's, uh, it is such a tool for us to be able to meet and build relationships, genuine relationships with people in the outdoor space. So then what happens is we'll meet someone and they're like, oh gosh, you need to get connected to this person. And then they'll make an introduction for us. So it's a really natural and organic way to build relationships. The third thing that has shockingly been a, an incredible tool for us has been TikTok. And that's recent. We just started our TikTok channel and are getting over 300,000 views on these videos that we're doing that are the craziest thing. Like I'll just video Stace doing a demo, throw it up on TikTok and get 300,000 views with people going to our website. Would highly recommend TikTok for any of you guys out there who have a product. Would you sell your house to fund your passion project? Uh, you know, when they had mentioned that in that conversation, it was something that, you know, stopped me in my tracks and I'm sure stops everybody in their tracks. You know, are you that committed to um, to iterating and bringing your idea to market that that you were willing to take that kind of risk? So, I mean, I think that's a great question. And I think it's a question that entrepreneurs face often, because if you don't have the capital from some other means, and this is a do or die, where either you cash in your 401k and sell your house, or you let the dream die. That is the question. Do I do those things? Or do I fold? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, Bob even said that too, in his interview, he's like, you know, I'm the only one here who bets bets my house every day on and, and so that that that's the sort of risk I think that people if you if you are going to be an entrepreneur, you have to be willing to face. Um, and they, they, uh, I think their story, interestingly, is is compounded further um, by by a couple of other key things here. You know, there because there there are and 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 Kim, you you've you've certainly spoke to this, uh, spoken to this quite a bit about how many resources there are out there, whether it's grant funding, you know, depending on what you're you're what you're doing, um, uh, or certainly uh, angel funding or friends and family. There are a lot of different avenues with which to raise or pitch and raise potential funding. But in the case of Jules and Stacy, they they face an issue that many face nationwide because they're women. And some ways they're excluded from some of those opportunities to, to fund. And so does it then have to self-fund as a result of that? It is a problem. And I think that we have great solutions coming up. Uh, there are funds out there dedicated to women um, in the entrepreneurial space. And I also see that we have people like Jules and Stacy that are creating their own networks even, and then paving the way for other women. So it's optimistic to look at it from that way. And that's, you know, I think the way that we choose to look at it, right, is all of these new things that are coming up to help bridge those gaps right. that have been there. The networking that you mentioned too, I think, is because both of them, I believe, they're they were they're they are also or were also 
uh, career counselors, right? And, and also uh, mentors themselves for other entrepreneurs. That's right. Um, so they had a side gig that they mentioned where they are coming in and doing that type of consulting. But then additionally, you know, through the creation of their podcast that, that mainly focuses on women in the outdoor space, where, as, as they also mentioned in the podcast, hasn't really been a predominantly female-led area. And they're showcasing how women are leading and changing the course of outdoor recreational opportunities. And so that's a creation of opportunity for women. And then on top of that, you know, going out to trade shows and showing the female presence in the manufacturing world alongside all of these people that are showing their wares, they're doing that. That's an investment of their time and of their energies. And and this RV that is, you know, going across the country and meeting people where they are. Right. I mean, and to your point, that's their, their resourcefulness is seen in their marketing. Right. In the pandemic, we saw them take to the road in an RV. So RVing became quite a passion for a lot of Americans during the pandemic, but they used it for grassroots marketing. They got into a rolling billboard, as they say, and they met people where they were. And then they drive across country and yeah, and try to, yeah. And, and so, and I think the other thing they were talking about is, uh, uh, of course, uh, becoming stars on TikTok and, and, and mixing it up on there, right? I know a lot of people are very hesitant to to um, to get on that particular channel. But of all of the social channels, it's by far the most, um, let's say, candid and performance-oriented of the mix. Some people question whether it's even brand-safe or not. I would like to see more companies embrace it the way they have, just simply because I think it is the most authentic form of social media that we currently have. And a lot of people are really afraid of it. And a lot of people do question, you know, is this safe? Is, you know, for for me, who works a lot in cybersecurity, right? And we worry about, is our data being stolen? Sure. Honestly, your data's out there everywhere. But I love the fact that they have used this platform to connect to their customer base. And it's it's unsurprising, right? Given yes. given really their, their mindset and That's their right. ability to be that resourceful. So let's go back to the challenges Jules and Stacy faced. They continue to overcome whatever they're presented with in unique and creative ways. But one thing they're still learning the ins and outs of every day is manufacturing. This is something we're still trying to navigate, right? This is a this is an ongoing navigation for us. I would encourage people to make sure you're interviewing and you're giving people enough time to make sure that your all your values align. I think that has been one of our, our biggest um, downfalls, uh, our biggest hurdles is everybody can be on their best behavior. We always say, give somebody six months to show they're crazy. And, and we have this uh, diagram, or we, so we always say, in the United States, I don't know about the rest, rest of the world, have you ever seen a yellow light turn green? So pay attention to the yellow lights. It is gonna turn to a red light. This is something we're learning, continuing to learn, is make sure you're, you're paying attention to the yellow flags, you're paying attention to the red flags and don't set them aside. If they do not align with your values, you probably don't need to work with them. But also interview, 
get references. You're making sure that, that everything is in alignment to make it a, a beautiful relationship. And I, I would add to that, become a part of inventors groups mm -hmm. because those inventors groups are connected to manufacturers, right? So what you want are you want manufacturers that have already been vetted. It's six months not to show you that they are crazy, but to show you what their crazy is. We all have it. We all mm -hmm. have a little bit of crazy in us, but you have to make sure that it matches up and it marries and that you can deal with those things that might be challenging, right? Um, and that aren't aren't deal breakers for your business. And these are things that we're learning now. We've learned, we learned the hard way. Um, we've been with some not great partnerships and not that the people are bad, they're just not great partners for us. This is something we're learning and now recognizing that we do have resources out there that we didn't have before. And it's just because we're such relationship builders and we're, you know, we were at the National Hardware Show and we met some inventors groups there. Go to trade shows, There's they're there. Obviously there's inventors at trade shows too, whatever space you're in. It's cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars in mistakes with the wrong people. Yeah. And so getting the manufacturer right is critical. Do your homework. And as you can tell, values are extremely important to OME gear. And they should be for you too. So in our coaching practice, um, the first thing that we lead with is a company establishing their values. Values are the foundation and the bedrock of any company. Mm -hmm. Every single decision that you make in your company should stem from your values. So for us, our values are everything. Our word is our word. We develop a quality product. We care about the outdoors and the earth. And so when we build a product, we think about those things, right? We're an outdoor company. Um, people matter to us. And so customers are not just a customer who can give us a dollar. You know, customers are people on the other end of that mm -hmm. phone call or email that we actually really care about. We wanna to get to know them. And so for us, our culture and our values literally are the lifeblood and the thread that weaves everything together. People are so important to us. I would say that's probably one of the, the biggest, biggest yeah. values, yeah. People are important to OME gear, but that's not just customers, it's their leadership team and employees too. We have been very fortunate with our team. Um, it is mm. it has grown organically. Jules, obviously, this is her family legacy. And then of course, I, I'm married into the family. Uh, so I'm here by proxy. And then um, my brother-in-law is our branding manager. He's a director of all of our branding. He, he does a wonderful job. He's been since the very beginning, 23 years ago. And then uh, we have a COO, Jacqueline, who just, kind of came to us and it has been a dream and but we knew from the moment we we met her uh we didn't even have to give her six months we were like yes absolutely she was she was going to be a part of our team uh our sales guy we've known him we vetted him for eight years um and finally got him so we watched him uh in his other businesses and so we but we knew him for a long time and uh when the opportunity came we uh that we needed him he, he was able to come on board so we have a very small team at this point we're very small and nimble we have an intern who has been with us for about six months and then the day she graduated we offered her a job because we saw her values that she was able to do everything we needed her to do and finish college and be able to use her time wisely and do it with such grace and ease and never complained about anything and then lastly is 
CFO. He, he just believed in us. He actually, he's the reason we're here today um, because he believed in our product. And he said, I think you have a story when Jules and I were ready to give up on it. And he goes, I think you have something here. And so he's a part of our team as well. So, you know, it, it's really just knowing and it's not just going out and hiring, it's vetting people, it's, it's reaching out into your network, people that you've known for years that may have an opportunity in, your, in our company. That's how it's kind of worked out for us. The first thing that you have to figure out is what are your individual values? Not collectively, but what are your individual values? And if those values match up, you've got a match made in heaven. It's just like any relationship, right? A marriage or whatever. If those values don't match up, then you've got some work to do. If you can get to a point of compromise, that's great. If not, there's always gonna be conflict and tension. And so then once you kind of establish the values and that you're on the same page, then what we ask people is, where do you wanna be five years from now? Right? If one founder wants to be a multimillionaire and growing and scaling leaps and bounds, and the other wants to be just comfortable enough to feed their family because they don't want to have to manage a big team and all of that, those are completely opposing goals, right? So it will be always a challenge for those founders. And for us, when we talk to people, and even us, we have to kind of go, okay, do are we both in agreement with that? And we come to agreement and then we can move forward. I'm Stace. This is Jules. And those were our notes on innovation. Thanks for listening to Of Note. I'm Joseph Nutter. And I'm Kim Christ. This is an original production by the South Carolina Department of Commerce and Design Sensory. Our producer and editor is Hunter Foster, with additional editing support from Cody Langford. Our sound engineer is Mike Deering, with original music by Matt Honkinen. Special thanks to Robin Hendricks and Danny Netherland. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram at ScribbleSC. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure to subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.